right, everyone. Welcome back to Creative Fuse, your favorite local podcast from Dalton's own H2B Creative. We hear stories from local entrepreneurs, creatives, business owners, and storytellers. And this week on the podcast, we have Bob Jenkins, um, a local general practice lawyer and Civil War historian. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So I would love for you to start off by sort of reintroducing yourself here and talking about your history, how you became a lawyer, your interest in Civil War history, and how you have really dived, dove, divin, dived into that and in your life sure well thank you sarah and thank you for having me yeah, uh, this of morning course. well let's see I, let me start off i'm bob jenkins mm-hmm. have lived in dalton since 1990 practicing law in northwest georgia in and around the courts essentially north of the etowah river which is at cartersville and west of the appalachian mountains although i do get tripped up every now and then in two other counties i grew up in shambly northeast okay. atlanta and graduated in 1982 from sequoia high school so you're local ish well, I, uh, Georgia boy, I guess, uh, yeah. though I was born in Mississippi, my parents oh. moved to Atlanta when I was a child and went to Georgia Southern undergrad Okay, and I uh, had a business degree there, management, and then minored in history and geography where my passions were and uh, then went to law school at Mercer in Macon, graduated from there in 1990, came to work in Dalton, Minor Bell and Neal, a local firm uh, hired me, they were they were hiring and, and, uh, and I worked with them for seven years been on my own for the past uh gosh what is it 25 plus now 26 i guess going good on. for you and and so my uh, my passion has been to represent clients and do my best to uh to serve uh in the manner that would be pleasing to god and i hope that that i've i've tried to do that in my in my practice my passion from for civil war we can get into if you if you want stems from all the way back to about fourth grade with a social studies project wow so. okay Okay, tell us more about that. Yeah, so I was involved with, uh, let's see, it was, I guess it was the social studies fair or whatever, that uh, 4-H project or whatever, but it was a school project. And me and a friend, classmate Jim Bennett, had a uh, project for, uh, we chose war in Georgia. And, okay. and we met, his dad was a paramedic and had access to materials to make a paper shea model. And so we, we, uh, we made a paper shea model of Stone Mountain and painted up some soldiers, blue and gray, and wrote a report. And ever since then, I've been hooked on the subject and tried to read and, and research everything I could get my hands on on that subject since then. And it kind of sounds like you ran out of stuff to read, so you just started writing your own. Well, I don't know. That that kind of came by, I guess, a little bit by accident. After starting practicing law in 1990 and starting a family Sometime in the mid or early 90s, my uh, aunt Elaine McIntyre, a retired school teacher from Choctaw County, Mississippi, okay, as in Choctaw, <laughs> uh, uh, where Billy Joe McAllister jumped off of Tallahatchie Bridge. Oh, country. yep. But she uh, she had gone when she retired from teaching to the state archives in Jackson, Mississippi, and discovered our ancestor, our direct namesake ancestors muster record or compiled service record, it's called. And she said, okay, Bobby, you're the Civil War historian in the family, or you're the Civil War buff. Here's your great-great-grandfather's service record. He was in Company E of the 31st Mississippi from Choctaw County. Now tell me, what does that mean? And I realized in a New York minute, I didn't, I thought I knew everything about, you know, there was to learn about Civil War. I'd read about Lee and Jackson and Longstreet and some of the Confederate generals and read about Grant and Sherman and Sheridan, some of the federal generals and all of the national, Bruce Catton and Shelby Foote, Thomas Conley and, and others I'd read, but I, I realized, Stanley Horn, but I, I realized in a New York minute that I didn't know nothing about, to, to answer her question, you weren't going to find that in any secondary sources, in any uh, national level books. The only way to be able to answer her question was to get into researching primary material. So I did. I went about trying to answer who was this Carradine Jenkins, or Jerry Jenkins was his nickname, and what was this 31st Mississippi, and what role did they serve in the war? And after researching that, which required me to go to various libraries and state archives and county libraries and, and uh, genealogical records, that was back in the early 90s before we were just getting started with email but mm-hmm. didn't have online internet access much if any at that point so it was a lot of driving around to a lot of places but after doing that uh, six months or a year later at the next family gathering after the table was cleared from a say a thanksgiving dinner or whatnot 
I began to tell the story to the family of what what our ancestor had done and what the uh, regiment had done. And somebody, one of my uncles said, well, somebody ought to write a book about that regiment. And my dad being also a school teacher, retired Marine from the Korean War, but a retired school principal from the DeKalb County Schools, he turned to me and said, son, you need to be the one to write that book. Oh, Lord. So anyway, that's how it started. But I, I started researching on that regiment, and that led me to a place called Peachtree Creek, which is literally the backyard of where I grew up in Shambly. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so that's how I've discovered in writing the story, the history of the 31st Mississippi, their biggest splash was at Peachtree Creek. Their biggest uh, battle and, and number of casualties, they had the highest casualty rate there at that battle. And so that's turned one project into another, so to speak. And I wound up researching for about 20 plus years on the Battle of Peachtree Creek and the events leading up to it, which a big issue in the Atlanta campaign is if you're the smaller guy in a fight for the the Confederate Army, if they were defending from essentially Dalton down toward Atlanta during the summer of eight, spring and summer of 1864, if you're the smaller guy in a fight, is it better to play offense or better to play defense? And that's been a debate by historians and students of the war and between Hood and Johnston. And so that's what uh, led me into that. And, and then, by the way, the Yankees had something to do with it and, uh, yeah. and, and what uh, Sherman's role was. And so all of those things interested me, and, and I wanted to, uh, to try to get behind some of the previous uh, historiography and, and look at primary materials and reexamine some of those things. Yeah, that's really interesting. I am, I am not a person that has one hobby that they've, like, really thrown themselves behind. Mm-hmm. I have, like, 45, and... All of them are currently packing one closet in my apartment. So a lot of times through this, I've talked to people through the podcast. I've talked to people who have had a hobby that has become this sort of all consuming thing. And in a, in a good way, in, in a way that like they've kind of made it their life's work, whether it's opening a shop or a store or writing how many books? Well, I, I've just submitted my third manuscript. I have two published works with uh, Mercer University Press. One mm-hmm. is The Battle of Peachtree Creek, published in 2013. And, and the other is called To the Gates of Atlanta that came out in 14 or beginning of 15. And also there's a, a, an article that's a full-length work, a magazine that's basically the, the, the length of the magazine on the battles around Dalton, Rocky Face Ridge, Mill Creek Gap, Crow Valley, Doug Gap, Tunnel Hill, Farnell, for example. And that came out in 2015 as well by Blue and Gray uh, magazine. But this one, the the one that's in print right now that will be coming out, I think, at the end of January, 1st of February, 2024, is going to be called The uh, Castful Affairs, Johnston Hood and the Failed Confederate Strategy. So it kind of goes back on what I was saying earlier about why did it fail besides the obvious that that the the northern troops had more men and more material and more more guns and more equipment but other than that why what were the reasons behind and and the events at Castle there were a couple of critical decisions that needed to be made there there was a chance at a potential counterattack by the southern army there and that that didn't go off and and uh, then after the war there was a lot of finger pointing between Johnston and Hood and uh, some of my research led me to discover some things that, that maybe, maybe one of those leaders was not being honest with us with mm. uh, some of what they, the the trail of records they left behind. So, anyways, that's that's what that's uh, that book is about. But to answer your question, I, I would say that I have a lot of a lot of interest as well. This one has just sort of evolved, I guess, yeah. maybe by osmosis into other things such as battlefield preservation. Uh, that we have an active group here, Save the Dalton Battlefields, that I've been privileged to be a part of. And uh, some parts, we can talk about that and some of the work that we've been doing with that. But but I also uh, am interested in music. I play guitar and write bad songs and, oh, and sure sing worse. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and other things over the years, I, I enjoyed coaching and leading youth groups when I was younger, when my kids were coming along as an RA leader. Boy Scout leader and a coach of Little League teams. So I, I certainly enjoy sports and yeah. and a lot of other events and music. Travel. My wife and I have a fifth wheel camper. And Oh, fun. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to, uh, we're planning to go to this fall to the New England states. I've never been that far to the Northeast. Been to most of the states. Have not made Alaska yet. 
and I've not made the New England states yet. Alaska's North- a trip. Yeah. Uh, I've never been, but like I have some friends that live there. <laughs> yeah. And then the New England states, I've been to, I think, Maine. Right. And it's lovely. You're going to love it. Well, we're excited. We're, we're hoping to go and uh, it's about a three-week trip to uh, Boston and, and Bar Harbor and mm-hmm. Cadia and, and then Vermont and New Hampshire and try to immerse for three or four days into each stage yeah. a little bit. So we're looking forward to so it. So when you are up there, are you going to do anything, I mean, aside from travel and, and parks and outdoors and, and those things, like, are you going to do anything that pertains back to your civil war interest uh well no i don't think so we i say that but you never know when we stumble into a town and i see a a historic marker or an old house and say oh that's where senator so-and-so was from or that's Mm -hmm. where general so-and-so's home was or you know joshua chamberlain for example from maine so i don't know we may we may find ourselves off the trail here or there and and i'll bore my wife with another another side trip. Uh, I do have Fort Ticonderoga and the Patriots Walk at Boston. Those are or must on my list of on our to-do list and and uh, Sherry's interested in that as well. And so although she's been to to Boston, lots of lobster and lots of fish hopefully. So. Great. I yeah. think that sounds perfect. Since you've I mean since you've done so much with this interest and I was kind of going to say too, I am super impressed by people that have done so much with an interest and like really digging in and learning all you can about it so what has your family done to support you as you have accomplished all of these things well that's a good question it is a sacrifice to to research to the level to be able to write a book and Mm -hmm. and it certainly takes a commitment of time and time away from family and and it's hard with a busy law practice i try to balance and certainly uh family comes first my faith comes first my clients and so it's you know a, a hobby like this necessarily is is not first although sometimes with deadlines when you're trying to meet a a publisher's deadline or an editor's requirement that you have to burn a little bit of night oil to Mm -hmm. try to try to fit it all in in a day you know it i'll tell you that i didn't set out to write civil war histories uh that that was just something that again occurred by osmosis at you know, by the inspiration of my family, thinking that history was important and teaching civics and, and American history and government to me as a child. And I'm sure led, to, ever since I was old enough to talk, I knew that I wanted to serve people or to help people. And I didn't know that that would lead, you know, when I was five or six years old, that would lead me to the practice of law. But I always sort of felt that I would be in some type of role serving people or helping others, sure. uh, whether it be in government, uh, a, a job with the government or or whether it be as a teacher, or whether it be as a lawyer. And so those things sort of happened over time. But anyway, I've always had that passion. And really, uh, education and um, the practice of law are really the same discipline, because you're disseminating information, and then you're translating that information to an audience, whether it be a classroom, or a jury, or a judge, or your client. And same thing with, with researching and writing history. I really love doing a lot of lectures and tours and, uh, and have gotten an opportunity with these projects to, uh, to go to places like Chicago and, and Columbus, Ohio, and, and Atlanta and Chattanooga, of course, and all the areas around the southeast, but, but a number of places. And next year, I get to go to New Orleans, Houston, Austin, Texas, as well as Scottsdale or Phoenix, oh. Arizona to speak. So it's going to be fun to to uh, bore some folks with a little, oh, that's little great, Civil though. War in Georgia. Kind uh, of a little perk of the hobby. A l- little west. So, we're, yeah. yeah, Sherry and I are going to try to incorporate that into a, a driving tour with the with a camper if I can figure out how to make the logistics work. So. Oh, I know you can. That sounds great. What kind of, what are you speaking at? Are they like colleges? Are they yeah. conferences? So it, it's different groups. Okay. Uh, the uh, There are a lot of different history groups. The primary one that I speak to is there are groups of uh, around the country that are called Civil War Roundtables. In fact, Dalton has one. They meet every third Thursday evening, I think at 7, at the Huff House uh, on Selvage Street. And sure, they would love anybody that's interested in history to uh, to go and attend that, that group. It's uh, fairly informal, but they'll bring in a guest speaker to talk about a subject. I've spoken about Dalton to various places. I've spoken about Peachtree Creek about the campaign in general and next year those uh, most of those speaking engagements will be about the new Castle book and about the mistakes the confederate army made in in some of those decisions cool that's really interesting that's great obviously georgia has a really rich history with the civil war and the surrounding states you mentioned that you moved here to work at a law practice in 1990 mm-hmm. well first did your interest in the civil war contribute to your move here or Good has question. living here just enhanced 
your interest? Uh, so, so the answer is no. Civil War became really a. Um, it was not the reason for the move. My fiance at the time and I had met at Georgia Southern. We were both from Northeast Atlanta. She was from from um, Tucker, and I was from Chambly. She had gone to Henderson High School, and I went to the old Sequoia. Mm-hmm. We both knew that after having grown up in Atlanta, we love, or I loved Atlanta, and I still do, but I did not love spending an hour on I-285 every day. I can relate to that. So mm-hmm. I did not want to go back to, and neither did did my um, my fiance. We did not want to go to Atlanta to raise a family and to be stuck. At 6 o'clock, I wanted to be on a ball field coaching my kids' little league or going yeah. to a ballet practice, not dealing with, with I-285 or I-something. So that led uh, to me purposefully interviewing across the state the uh, middle size and smaller towns. And uh, so I put my name in the hat at Augusta and Macon and Savannah and Columbus and Albany and, uh, you know, all across the state. And Dalton uh, was hiring. Two or three firms in Dalton were interviewing. And I found out that I didn't have enough Roman numerals after my name (laughs) to uh, get a job in Macon or or Augusta, apparently. But um, uh, they wanted Thurston Howell III's great-grandson or or grandnephew. It was a little more close. At least that's what I discovered, uh, you know, after about the third or fourth interview with, well, Mr. Jenkins, we... We see here you have a a nice resume, but uh, I'm afraid we're gonna uh, we've made a decision to go in another direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck to you in your future endeavors. And uh, but Minor Bell and Neil was hiring, and and so was Dalton, and they didn't seem to be worried that I was the son of a school teacher from DeKalb County. So and I I really enjoyed my experience there. It was an excellent group of attorneys to work for mm-hmm. and work with and and learn from. Good. Okay. So how has so th- you ended up here, you put down roots, and then how has living here enhanced your historical journey? So as I said, in the early 90s, uh, my aunt uh, inspired me to research that ancestor, which led to that regiment, which led to the battle back home to Peachtree Creek. And after that, I researched for so long during the 90s and and O's. And and this was something that while I'm raising a family, you know, I wasn't doing every day, obviously. I had to set it aside for three months while I'm busy with with projects at church or in the community with other other activities or my kids maybe coaching a little league or something. But so it would be sort of in fits and spurts. But after a while, I uh, began to get asked to speak to various groups, uh, starting with the Chattanooga Civil War Roundtable. Jim Ogden, the chief historian and ranger at uh, Chickamauga and Chattanooga Battlefield Military Battlefield Park, asked me to speak a couple of times. And so that that sort of spawned. And I'll tell you, the funny thing is, I I wasn't, I'm not afraid to get up in front of a crowd of people, uh, but... But I was nervous the first time or two when I was giving a program on all of this new material that I had discovered about Peachtree Creek and about some of the leaders that I had read and researched the primary materials because they were different than some of the secondary sources. I was challenging mm-hmm. some of accepted knowledge. And, and so I was so afraid that I was going to stand up and give the whole de- uh, spiel. And then at the end of it, during the question and answer time, some some old timer in the back was going to raise his hand and say, well, I'll tell you something, Mr. Lawyer or Colonel. And that, that was a Colonel was a term they used to call lawyers back in the day. So when I first started practicing, I'd have a few old time uh, old timers call me Colonel. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but having one, you know, say, I'll tell you something. Uh, that's a nice program you just gave, but you were wrong. And have you considered so-and-so's diary or so-and-so's journal? And I was so afraid of that yeah. that maybe I had missed, a, you know, not uncovered a stone. But after giving a few lectures and, and getting out there in the, uh, in the history community and uh, not being challenged or having an answer two challenges from time to time sure. to be able to say, well, that I, I understand why you've asked that question. This was, you know, what we understood, but now this is what, what has maybe altered that or enhanced or changed that, that belief. So, so after that happened a few times, it uh, started to help me have a little more confidence about uh, maybe, maybe that uh, research was paying off. So good. Cool. I mean, that sounds like you've, landed in a good spot for what you're doing too i mean you've gotten super involved right like you sure. well it's just been a passion like i said and, yeah. and one of the the greatest honors was i got to speak to the atlanta civil Roundtable. table it was in february of 2013 
and uh, and I was sick with the flu. Oof. Uh, but uh, but I had uh, gotten over it. I was no longer contagious. I was just very weak. And I wound up standing before a group of about 330 people, and I wasn't nervous about the crowd until Coach Vince Dooley, who was a member of that group, walked in the door. And uh, when Coach got in, I got a little choked up, and I told everybody a joke or two from you know, my Georgia Southern days and our relationship with, with Irk Russell and uh, my brief experience as a football player at Georgia Southern. Oh. I shared a little of that, but I won't bore you with that one today. But, but I told everybody I was not nervous until Coach Dooley walked in the room and everybody laughed. But that was an honor to speak to that group and uh, a lot of Sage people uh, in, in that group. I, I want to share a little bit about, uh, f- before we get away, about Save the Dalton Battlefields. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, I was going to say, since you've gotten so involved, I had to write it down because there are a lot of words in the things you're involved in. But the Save the Dalton Battlefields and the Whitfield County Historic Preservation Commission, you are involved in both of those things. So yeah, please talk about Save Dalton Battlefields. Well, uh, we have had a number of people uh First of all, Dalton and Whitfield County have more undisturbed earthworks than any other county in the nation. Oh. So we're not just carpet anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we're the floor covering capital of the world, of course, now. But we have a lot of things to be proud of, including Soccer Town, USA. And, but from a historical perspective, we are the, the gateway to Civil War Georgia. Mm-hmm. We are the, uh, that's actually a trademark name, uh, by the way, for, Georgia, for Dalton. But uh, we also, uh, we are that first chapter in the Atlanta campaign, and many believe that's the, the campaign and, and the fate of Atlanta was, is what decided the, uh, the war. And that's not just me talking uh, about us having more earthworks than any other other place. That's the people with the green hats, the, the National Park Service. Uh, Can and, and you, before we go too far, will you explain what an earthwork is? Yes. Okay. So, so we have uh, trenches, earthworks that were dug in Dalton and Whitfield County for the okay. de- defense of, of Dalton by the Confederate Army. And there are also some federal works by the Northern Army that were, that were dug while they were here as well. Okay. And we have... There are different. There's a vast variety of what's called field fortifications. There's above ground where you you dig and you place dirt up on a, in a pile in a in a row that looks like a, a hedge or a or a row. Uh, there are there stone wall uh, works across Rocky Face Ridge and and uh, Dug Gap. Uh, there are uh, below ground where you dig down. There's above ground. There's lunettes that are shaped like a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. There's 13 of them up the Disney Trail, if you oh, like the Disney Trail. There, there are traverses that look like little diagonals or L-shapes that run up the side of slopes that help uh, defenders to be able to defend from two directions mm. in case the enemy was coming from below or from their flank, from the side, you know, coming around the side of the ridge. There's slave dug. Uh, there's dug while under fire, which are rudimentary looking. Obviously, if you're being shot at and you're trying to dig a hole to get to get uh, some protection. And there are art- artillery works. We have about 23, by my count, artillery battery sites. We lost one, unfortunately, up uh, Hag Mill Road this last summer by a developer. Uh, somebody built a house and tore down earthworks that had been there 160 years. And Did they it know was, they were it doing that? Very, well, I... I educated them but that didn't seem to matter okay and i don't guess uh, so so save the dalton battlefields is an organization that stepped in to try to help uh one raise awareness Mm -hmm. two identify those uh those works and three uh try to help preserve them or save them through various means cobb county used to have the distinction of, of having the most Civil War earthworks in the country. And it makes sense with Kennesaw and, and uh, all of the different uh, Smyrna, the uh, Chattahoochee River line, all the things that happened there in Cobb County when two armies slugged it out for a month. You would, you would see why they would have yeah. so many earthworks. Unfortunately, too much of Atlanta and Marietta and Kennesaw now have all built out and leveled too many of them. So they no longer have that distinction that they would have had in the 60s and 50s and so forth. Dalton has more earthworks and we have the greatest variety as i was describing lunettes and traverses and above ground slave dug artillery infantry north south and uh, we have miles and miles of it and there's several reasons for that one is we are a late war location in in the war the first half of the war they didn't really use earthworks very often unless it was to defend a city or a or a fort on the on the coast but out in in the battlefields, earthworks were commonly uh, were were not typically used. That changed 
in the middle of the war and became commonplace by the end of the war. And Dalton was sort of at the, uh, the front end of that change. And so that's one reason. The second reason is we have very good stewards of the land here. A lot mm-hmm. of the farmers and landowners uh, have uh, recognized that those were historic, those were important, and they simply dug around them. If they're planting a field or planting trees or, or building a house, for the most part, they, they uh, preserve them, thankfully. And, uh, and then the other reason, the, the third reason, is that they're in hard-to-get-to places. Rocky Face Ridge is not an easy hike. Yeah. Uh, I just had the privilege of taking a national rider up there this past uh, month and uh, and a national team of historians and the uh, American Battlefield Trust last year, uh, Whitfield County, was gracious enough to uh, uh, get access for a group to go up there and, and do a podcast or a, or a, well, I'm not sure what it's called, a video cast uh, that they launched uh, last summer from American Battlefield Trust. Uh, I'm going to back up, though, about about the efforts of, of preservation because yeah. it's not been something overnight. It's been no, never a, over a period of time. As early as the 1980s, there was a group, uh, Marvin Souter, historian with uh, the Huff House, uh, some others that were before my time, r- recognized Doug Gap Mountain, and they preserved that. That was probably one of the first sites in our area that was preserved, and that's owned by... Uh, a, a, collect, a collaborative effort be- between the Whitfield Murray Historical Society and the Dalton Civil War Roundtable, uh, who maintained that site. And uh, in the 1990s, when it looked like a lot of uh, development was going to start happening on the ridge tops of Doug Gap, there was some, and then on the north end of, of Rocky Face Ridge, that's the part that's north of I-75 at Rocky Face Exit, that looked like that was going to start developing. Mike Babb was the county commission chairman at the time, and he and the county commissioners had the vision to to acquire and preserve 660 acres on top of Rocky Face Ridge cool. uh, in the 1990s. And uh, that vision, uh, it, it, so because of that, uh, that foresight, uh, Rocky Face Ridge there will not look like Lookout Mountain or Missionary Ridge in Chattanooga yeah, with speckled with houses all up and down the, the, the ridge. But there was a problem with how do you get safe access to that? There were some several easements and ways to get there that are really just limited access for the county and for utility companies uh, and cell tower companies. But, but there was not really good public access to mm-hmm. get there. And so uh, that culminated in another vision in, in 2014 through the purchase of the Grant Farm. Former dentist, uh, Dr. Grant, uh, had retired and was interested in, in selling uh, about 306 or 8 acres, uh, in which is half of Crow Valley, plus connected with that 660 acres. And uh, through the help, uh, again, Mike Babb was commission chairman at that time, and and the American Battlefield Trust, or its predecessor name, came in and helped us with uh, with that acquisition. Before then, we had another uh, project uh, in which there were two visionaries, Dr. Bill Blackman and uh, Paul Belk. Dr. Blackman, a retired eye surgeon in town, and and uh, Paul Belk, a real estate uh, developer. They, they recognized Blue Mountain and uh, worked with the county in preserving 15 acres on top of Blue Mountain, which was Sherman's field headquarters. Oh, interesting. It was the federal okay. counterpart to the Confederate position at Rocky Face like, that's Face a Ridge. name I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah Blue Mountain. So... So th- thankfully, that's not going to be developed. And after that project, though, it, it, it led to two, two things spun from that. One was the county created a historic preservation commission, and Catherine Sellers is chair of that, and others have chaired that before, including Dr. Blackman and um, retired county administrator Bob McLeod. Uh, and others uh, have led that that organization. The other thing that spawned off was was uh, spun off was was our group, Save the Dalton Battlefields. Many of the same people mm-hmm. have participated in in that group, and we were able to work with Georgia Battlefields Association, who provided the funding for us to acquire Potato Hill in 2012 uh, and get that park opened in time for the sesquicentennial in 2014 through some efforts of Boy Scouts and some Eagle Scout projects. They were out there digging in 20-degree weather to get a trail cut in time. Oh, Lord. They do some uh, cool work, though. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then the other, the second acquisition was Mill Creek Gap, which is where the patrol barracks are, 
uh, we were able to acquire, Save the Dalton Battlefields was able to get some of that property back from the state of Georgia. It was originally intended in the 1930s by the uh, Works Parks Administration and the federal government to have been a park for Civil War preservation. In the 19, early 1970s, the state of Georgia petitioned the United States government to get that land uh, to be able to put the state patrol barracks on. And so then we were able to work out something with the state and the state patrol to, uh, to keep the earthworks behind the patrol barracks and preserve them, as well as the, uh, the little roadside picnic shelter area and pocket park there. And then that turned us into the third project, which was, uh, again, led by Mike Babb and, and the Whitfield County Commissioners and the, uh, a, a number of organizations to be able to get the grant farm. One thing that I'll share with you that's, that's I think, probably a, a Rocky Face Ridge Park is probably a good example of parks going forward into the future. Mm-hmm. You know, some people may not get all that excited about history like I do. But yet they enjoy going to Chickamauga yeah. because they can ride their bike or walk their dog or go jogging or go hiking and or have a picnic with family, have a reunion. Uh, Rocky Face Ridge Park is, is that type of has that type of vision moving forward. Uh, while there are some purists in the history community that would have loved to have seen it to be just a uh, history park. Uh, in order to be able to bring the funding and, and bring the interest to bear mm-hmm. for that project, it created uh, a need for some synergy. And uh, Mike Babb was, uh, again, the visionary behind that, and, and then Lynn Lauder behind him. And uh, and even today with Doug Jensen and our current board, we've had the support of, uh, of the county. And we've been, we've been very blessed to have support from uh, both city and county leaders, uh, Mayor Pennington and others, in helping to preserve sites like that of importance. Uh, the city has had uh, several projects over the years, including working with Shaw Industries in acquiring Mount Rachel, for example, mm-hmm. to make a city park, but also preserve earthworks in the process. I would I would agree with that sort of like multifaceted park mm-hmm. model in a way. So I'm very much the outdoor centric, like I'm going to go bike and run and sure. hike and whatever. But my mom is very interested in history. And it's been really cool as I've gotten older because that's something that we can go do together. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not in my nature to stop and read everything <laughs> and be like, okay. But then as sure. we've gone and done that together, I've become a little more interested in these things and where we're going and the parks we're going to and why does it exist and what's the history of it because she has. so And she's become more interested in hiking right. and has developed that hobby as well. So sure. it's been really cool to kind of like share that with her as two people who have very different interests, but Absolutely. we're able to sort of marry them yeah. through something like that. So... That's great work. Yeah, absolutely, and it and it takes forward thinking. Uh, I'll I'll brag on Mike Babb again about something else. He he sometimes jokes. He said, "I'm probably the only commissioner in 159 counties in the state of Georgia to have gone to petition the state to put to for a million dollars for a hole in the ground." <laughs> and uh, what he's referring to is we thankfully have the Tunnel Hill Historic Tunnel and um, an interpretive center there. And the family there that owned the Clisby Austin house has donated that. So that's a beautiful site uh, to have the uh, where Hood actually spent a night. And uh, there's some mystery behind that. General John Bell Hood uh, spent one night there. And uh, Sherman, General Sherman, during the opening chapter of the Atlanta campaign, mm-hmm. spent a week there. So that uh, that's an important part of the story. And having the interpretive center there where the great locomotive chase is interpreted and the role that Whitfield County and Dalton played in it. Uh, the tunnel at Tunnel Hill is uh, this 1177 feet. It's the only tunnel on the 88 mile stretch from Ross's Landing or Rossville at the uh, Chattanooga and Tennessee line at Tennessee River all the way down to uh, a place called the Terminus, which is downtown Atlanta, the terminal point. Mm-hmm. Mike said that when when he first put billboards out on Interstate 75 and said, you know, come see Tunnel Hill uh, Railroad and uh, come see the the railroad tunnel at Tunnel Hill. And there was almost no interest. It was very, you know, sparse. And then when they revamped the billboard and they added the word Civil War, Mm -hmm. come see the Civil War tunnel at Tunnel Hill kaboom yep all of a sudden people start uh, coming out turning off of i-75 and and uh the rest they say is history marketing 
Well, cool. How, so kind of to wrap everything up a little bit, I have two questions. Sure. One is how can, if they're interested in this and they want to get more involved, how can they find either your books or get involved in, or more information to get involved in the organization? Absolutely. So there, there are a number of ways. If you want to support locally, the um, Save the Dalton Battlefields group, uh, I, uh, my office is, my law practice is at 408 North Selvig Street, 408 North Selvig Street. It's my kids used to call it Bear in the Big Blue House. It's an old house that's a, a blue just across from the uh, concrete company and uh, and by the uh, railroad tracks there and two doors up from the Huff House. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved, maybe not in Civil War, if you want to just get involved in history generally, the uh, uh, Huff House and Dalton Murray, or excuse me, Whitfield Murray Historical Society at Crown Gardens and they have about eight or so facilities across Murray and Whitfield counties. Prater's Mill would love to have some help, I, I okay. know. Uh, the Let's see, the Clisby Austin House, folks mm-hmm. out at Tunnel Hill. There's opportunities all across the, the county. And uh, the Blunt House. Okay. Uh, I know Miss Lewis and others there would be would be ha- happy to have that. Each of them have a different niche. And, uh, oh, and I, I'd be remiss, Curtis Rivers and the Emory Center for African-American Heritage uh, and uh, that museum uh, and also has Native American history as well okay, as great. part of his program there. Cool. Awesome. That's You're a great resource on obviously a lot of things. And then kind of abruptly switching gears, if you can, if you're like allowed to, what is one of the most interesting stories from your time as a lawyer? Okay, so huh, I've had a lot. Of, well, a lot I probably can't or shouldn't say on air. That so was my I'm concern. Gonna, I'm like, I I'll, wonder if he I'll can protect, talk about it. Uh, protect the innocent and maybe uh, uh, maybe other other parties from time to time <laughs> as well. But I'll share a couple of interesting comments, and then I'll share a, a story that I think I, I would like the people of Dalton to, to hear and to know about. I've uh, It's been alleged that I have represented the estate of a dead dog. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, okay. Some others will get a grin out of that story, but there's a quite an interesting tale uh, among the legal community from about 40 year, 30 plus years past, so when I first got started. That's, uh, there's a, another, uh, I, I guess I've represented the, a statue. I was involved in, in helping with, with uh, the Johnston statue. I'll tell you, we're, we're looked at by the nation as a success story, and that's something that I'm honored to, to, to hear uh, praise for Dalton, and I know our community may not know that or feel that, and I know half the community was was torn by wanting to keep the statue where it was for 100 plus years and the other half of the community wanted to see it moved but thankfully our community came together and we did something that most communities across the country did not but when when we were going through a time of of turmoil in 2020 the summer of 2020 a lot of cities were tearing things down wanting to erase their the history in a lot of ways and and uh, tear down history that was uh, offensive to some in the community. And, and here, the, one of the beautiful things that I found out of those that wanted to see the statue moved, I heard very few voices in that camp to say, tear it down. What I did hear, though, instead was move it to a more appropriate place, not on a city square, not on a, a public road. Uh, and certainly the side that, that wanted to see it remain uh, wanted to see it preserved as well. And uh, that culminated in an effort that was really a collaborative effort to move the statue to the Huff House. And it's worked very nicely because that was where his headquarters was during the time that Johnston was the commander of the Confederate Army here in Dalton. And so it's in an appropriate place. It's uh, where those that that want to see the statue and want to learn about history can. Yeah. And others that uh, that don't want to be reminded sure. of of uh, part of the past that may be painful to to the African American community don't have to see that statue on a street corner. That's so so I think it, as it turned out, it, it was some growing pains. But I hope that it's been a win win. And uh, there were a lot of people involved with that. But uh, but I think our community would be. Su- Maybe surprised, maybe not surprised to see that behind the scenes, people from all 
various organizations from multiple sides of that issue came together in support in providing funding for that move and and uh, for the infrastructure to be able to to uh, put it where it's located now. So yeah, I think that um, that's a conversation I've been part of several times, and it's always really interesting that there is something important about remembering history so that the darker times aren't repeated, mm-hmm. but they're, but also not continuously highlighted going sure. forward. So yeah, I think that I would agree with you. That's a success story and moving it somewhere where it's a choice, whether or not you sure. should like want to go see it. You know, one of the things, one of the things that just because somebody is a member of an organization uh, doesn't mean that they don't support another organization. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw that happening. Maybe I'll leave it at that and let let those in those various organizations share their story if they yeah. choose. But 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 it was a a, a really a, a, a difficult time, but uh, but a time that uh, that uh, people stood up and and uh, gave gave a lot of thought and a lot of a lot of effort in in uh, trying to preserve the history as well as trying to uh, remove it from a public. Uh, square such as at the the end of a city street i I will share this whether you like johnston or not whether you want to preserve a confederate general statue or not uh the actual piece is a work of art of all things it's a tiffany's yeah it's a it's a rare piece of art so uh so anyway that was that was an interesting story let me share something else with you i i um i want to share a story with the folks of Dalton about someone that maybe they're not aware of. And if they drive on a certain road in the county, they'll see a road called Major Richard Robert Wright Highway or Major Richard Robert Wright Road and wonder who is that person. There was a young man who was born a slave on the Wright uh, family farm in uh, Dalton, Dame Richard Robert Wright. He was about six when the war broke out. And uh, about nine, when his family moved away from Dalton, they were sold. As the war started to creep closer to Dalton, they were removed and sold. He and his mother and uh, siblings were sold to another family in South Georgia near Cuthbert, Georgia, below Columbus. Uh, After the war was over, she, uh, the mother and his grandmother uh, had, had instilled him the need for education. His mother wanted him to get an education. And, of course, a, a post-Civil War was a hard time, both white and black. It was, it was a horrible time in the South. Uh, and, uh, but there, there was limited opportunity for whites and virtually no opportunity for a number of blacks. And um, one of the things that, uh, that arose out of that were these boxcar schools that some northern teachers came down and wanted to teach black kids uh, and and blacks of all ages, typically men and boys. And the only place to have those schools or schoolhouses was in abandoned boxcars on the side of, you know, of a rail uh, station, maybe in a downtown area. And uh, so this mother wanted her son, who was now, you know, a, a budding teen, 11, 12, 13, wanted him to learn made arrangements and walked with him all the way from Cuthbert to Atlanta, where he got into one of those schools. And while he was at one of these schools, uh, there was a fella, a general named Oliver Otis Howard, who we know uh, Howard University in Mm, in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. is named for him. He was the chair of the head of the uh, Freedmen's Bureau after the war. Uh, during Reconstruction, and his job was to provide programs, various programs, to help freed slaves. And so he was on a tour across the South to see how things were going, and he happened in on this classroom, perhaps a boxcar or warehouse by then, in Atlanta. And lo and behold, this young Richard Robert Wright of Dalton, Georgia, was in that classroom as a young man, maybe one of the youngest in the in the room. And uh, General Howard said, uh, to the group, he said, "I want to uh, to ask you all, uh, how are you all faring, and and what what message would you like me to take back to the people up north about how y'all are faring down here?" And this young man raised his hand and was recognized by by the general, and he stood up and he said, "Yes, sir, General Howard, sir, tell them we are rising." Oh, oh, I like tell that. them we are rising. Well, what follows a general? 
on a on a tour like that, but an entourage of staff mm-hmm. and reporters. And he had a bunch of newspaper folks in the room, and one of them wrote that down and clicked it off in an email. Mm-hmm. You know they had email back then, right? Yep, they sure, had telegraphs, sure. and he sent a telegraph story up the the wire to I believe it was in the Cincinnati Inquirer the next morning in the paper, and then what one paper writes. Every other paper in the country mm-hmm. wants to steal. So it was in the New York Times two days later. And uh, while having his morning coffee, there was a poet named, uh, I believe Greenleaf uh, was the poet's name, but he read that story that a boy in a boxcar in Atlanta stood up before a general in a whole classroom and said, tell them we are rising. And so that inspired him to set down his coffee cup and start writing a poem and uh, the poem is something like General Howard's trip to the South or something like that. You could look it up. But uh, that became the mantra among uh, the black community across the country, North and South, and across the, uh, the North, uh, so much so that 100 years later during the Civil Rights Movement, mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others picked up that Rise Up or We Are Rising and when people go to the Atlanta Falcons game, I was about to say. <laughs> and they say, rise up, Yep. everybody thinks it's the Falcons and the Phoenix, you know, the, the rising from the ashes because Atlanta was burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but it, it has a dual meaning. And so when you are rising up, it has more than just that meaning to some in our community. Yeah. And, um, and so, but let me tell you a little bit more about this man's story. And I know I'm over my time, but this young man got the best education he could get out of that boxcar. Then he went down back to Cuthbert, and he started a little school there. And then he went over to Savannah, and he started a university or a college there and became its headmaster or, or president. We know that school today is Savannah State University. Oh, wow. He was the headmaster there for maybe 30-plus years, 35 years. During the 1890s, when the Spanish-American War broke out, Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders were led an expedition to go down to Cuba and— uh, uh, fight the, alongside the Cubans against the Spanish. And Major, or I should say at the time, President of College Richard Robert Wright went and offered his services. Teddy Roosevelt appointed him as Major, commissioned him Major, so that the younger captains and lieutenants would have to listen yeah. to him uh, due to his seniority and his age. He was probably in his 50s by then. And he was the only African-American on that, that uh, at least that part of the staff or that. But he, he made him the paymaster. He put him in charge of all the money wow. for that expedition. Mm-hmm. That's how important he was uh, to Roosevelt and to that group. So much so during the, uh, that period of time, 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, Presidents McKinley and Taft and others, when they would come visit the South and they would want to visit with black leaders across the South, people like George Washington Carver, um, they would make their way to Savannah to seek the counsel of Richard Robert Wright or maybe arrange for him to meet them in Atlanta. Uh, So he was part of an unofficial black cabinet for presidents for 20 or 30 years. And as if that isn't enough. Okay, we're not done. The man, when he was 56 years old, he said, you know what? I'll never be considered the equal of a white man unless I have a white man's education. So he enrolled himself in a school at uh, um, the Wharton School of Business at uh, Penn College University uh, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. Ivy League School. Got a business degree. At 56. At, in his late or 50s. 58, Yes, whatever. in his late 50s. He then started, uh, or he bought a fledgling little bank right before the Depression. Oh, my God. What the is Depression, this bank about to be? of course, wipes out banks all across the country. He managed to steer that, that bank through it. They had over $9 million in cash deposits. Uh, excuse me, $5 million in cash deposits survived the Depression and actually grew. Uh, we know that bank today as the CNS Bank. Good Lord. All right. That's so an incredible story. All of his offspring are bishops and presidents and doctors and lawyers and teachers, and they've all risen up to to uh, be leaders in uh, Philadelphia and throughout the country. Uh, and I, I share that story because uh, it, it seems to me that there are a number of people uh, that may maybe we ought to consider uh, having a, a statue around in our community. Yeah. Um, uh, Bob Shaw, Catherine Evans-Whitener, uh, but um, 
You know, maybe Major Richard Robert Wright ought to have a statue somewhere in this town. Absolutely. What an incredible life. Shoot, when I'm 56, I just want to sit in a rocking chair and like... (laughs) I'll tell you one other real fast, and I won't won't go to the length of it, but we're the only place where a female recipient of the uh, Medal of Honor occurred. Uh, And uh, that occurred... uh, There's a Dr. Um, Mary um, Edwards Walker who was uh, an assistant surgeon for the 52nd Ohio. She was captured outside in between the lines between Nickajack Gap and uh, Tunnel Hill and brought to Dalton and actually was kept for about a week at the Huff House with General Johnston and his wife, Lydia, and uh, before she was placed on a train to Atlanta and then shipped to Richmond and exchanged eventually. But uh, she is the only, to this day, uh, I know there was a great movie, I think Denzel Washington and Demi Moore may have been a part of, uh, about some wars in Afghanistan or Iraq, about a female recipient. But that's, that's Hollywood. That didn't actually happen. But we, we do have one female recipient of the Medal of Honor, and that happened here in Dalton. The other, uh, we have about five or six uh, male recipients of the Medal of Honor. Plenty of heroics, both north and south here. Well, so. she can have a statue, too. statue for everyone yep (laughs) well cool thank you that was an incredible story to end on i think i had no idea um but you can bet i'll probably be telling that to at least four other people today well that's good well that that's you know let the word get out and i I, his story is a success story of someone um rising from um from that uh humbleness um and that level of of uh I mean, an enslaved child at six yeah. to, to do all of those things in one, one generation. Yeah. Um, so. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Anything else to close out? Otherwise? We're, no, we're I don't think so. Thank you for letting me come and, and share or bore you with a little history. Oh, uh, no, this was fascinating. We, uh, we have uh, a number of, of projects uh, uh, from going on from time to time, and, and uh, sometimes they're, uh, they're in the the private zone right now but uh but but when uh as as appropriate when when things are shared uh but but again save the dalton battlefield's mission is to identify protect and preserve local historic sites and uh we don't want to be one day known as the county that used to have the most undisturbed earthworks yeah and and that is a risk because we are developing because we do grow and we do have need for a new housing and new building and uh, buildings and business of course but we need to be sensitive and we need to be careful and and where and strategic about how we preserve sites that's something else i mentioned the three parks that we've been a part of with the county but there are other projects where uh that are not as well known where maybe the landowner keeps the property but they place a perpetual easement on that property so Mm. that it's never built on good so we've had other success stories like that over the years because of the uh, the benevolent spirit of of those landowners yeah well that's awesome and and i'm excited to see what else you do and things you preserve and and things you write so again thank you for being here well thank you thanks for hanging out with us today here at the h2b creative fuse podcast be sure to hit subscribe whether you listen on spotify google play apple podcast or stitcher h2b creative is located in downtown dalton and is here to assist with all of your marketing needs check us out at h2bcreative.com or creativefusepodcast.com or any of our social channels until next time stay creative